Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics, 40K Codex Analysis, List Building, Strategy Development, Game Theory, Mentoring. Our mission, to help you become a better player and to raise the level of the game both on and off the tabletop. Here's your host, Stephen Box. Hey, and welcome back to the Competitive 40K podcast. This is season number four, and I apologize that we've had a slight delay in uh, getting some episodes out to you. But myself and Jack have started recording now again, and that's the good news. And hopefully there's only going to be more and more good news. And this is a really exciting series as I think we enter this kind of post lockdown or COVID restrictions, tournaments are opening up and this episode will give you a bit of a taster as to what's to come over the next uh, coming week. So we're going to touch over a few topics today, but we're really going to dive deep into some of the these topics uh, later on during the season. Now, I would just want to take this time to say a massive thank you to everybody that's reached out to say, oh, we love the podcast. When's it coming back? Honestly, those messages really mean a lot to us. It's a huge amount of effort to even just plan these episodes, get them recorded, get them out every week, do the show notes. So obviously, um, you know, seeing those messages really did mean a lot to me and Jack and uh, really got our ass back in gear to actually get back out there in recording. So huge thank you to all of you that did that. Massive thank you to all of our sponsors as well. Um, you guys are absolutely awesome. That have really helped us uh, grow throughout this time period. And I just want to also take this time to say a massive thank you to all of our academy students, because without those guys on the academy, this whole thing wouldn't even happen. These guys allow, you know, myself, Joe, Jack and the other coaches to make 40k related content. So without them um, and without their support, this whole thing wouldn't happen. So again, Thank you so much if you are a subscriber and I hope we haven't kept you waiting too long for this next season. So over now to the, myself and Jack for this first episode of season four. Jack Downing, welcome back to the show. Hello, Mr. Box. It's been a while, hasn't it? It has been. It, uh, unfortunately, real life's been getting in the way and I know you've been a busy boy as well. I've been very busy, um, but... All good. Um, I think the show's been missed. Um, I've actually been reached out by a fair few people to say they've missed the show and when's the competitive 40k podcast coming back. So uh, here we are. And we felt it was time for a new season, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, times have moved on in the world a little bit since the last time we're, we're on the air. Yeah, obviously with COVID um, restrictions easing here in the UK, it means one thing and that means tournaments are back absolutely it's a full preparation mode at uh, the vt camp now yeah which is why we thought today would be a great chance to kind of document and also whilst we go along our, our journey this season into the, t- the tournament scene helping some of you guys with us along the way maybe share some of our top tips or epic failings whichever whichever way it goes <laughs> Um, but if we can help more people get that confidence and clarity they need to just understand, okay, this is where I'm at at the moment. This is where I need to get to in order to go to an event. Uh, then brilliant. I'd love to see so many people, you know, reach out to us and say, ah, oh, I did my first, um, competition and, uh, used your and Jack's advice. So, um, yeah, the next few series of, uh, or sorry, the next few episodes is going to be dedicated towards helping people get a little bit more comfortable going to tournaments. So we're going to have a bit of an overview today, aren't we? 
Yeah, I think we're just going to start with an overview, those kind of first steps to, to get you on your way to preparing to attend the event. Yeah, absolutely. And then we can kind of dive in to some of these in a little bit more detail and um, sort of really, um, I suppose, add in and just kind of, again, give you guys as much clarity as we possibly can in detail. So, Jack, we've got a few tournaments coming up. Yeah, we uh, we did the admin over the weekend, didn't we, to actually uh, figure out how many events we've got signed up. And it's, I think it's about five myself coming yeah, up. I think we've got literally one every month at least. And they're not small events either, are they? No, there's, there's, there's some biggies in there, which is great. Um, yeah, so obviously you, me and the entire VT team, Joe, um, Jake, Ben, Aaron, Mark. Um, yeah, it's all going to be kicking off here in the UK. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be quite exciting. So let's think, where's the best place to start? So you have, what are you kind of considering when you're even going to an event? What sort of events are you signing up for Jack and why? So I'm looking at, uh, yeah, if I've a kind of the size of the event as one thing to, to get those, uh, sweet, sweet ITC points. And how do they work? Just as a brief uh, overview. Uh, so the ITC, you put me on the spot a bit there. Uh, <laughs> so the ITC is the independent tournament circuit, which is a ranking system for um, all players across the globe that can that can compete. So it, first thing to actually need to check on the event pack is, is it an ITC registered event and will ITC points be awarded? Yeah. So that'd be one thing I'd be looking for. And then based on the size of the event and the number of rounds is kind of how many maximum points you could then get towards your ITC score. Yeah, mate, you nailed it. Oh, I'll take that. Put you on the spot, you delivered. Oh, that's, yeah, uh, I think that's a pretty good overview. And, th- and then your ranking is determined by your six top scores over the year. Yeah. And if you're going for best in faction, I believe it's four, your top four events. And if you're playing for a team, so let's say you're playing for the Team Vanguard Tactics, then so many players can only have their top scores entered and then they Mm -hmm. take a lot of scores and add them together to give you a team. So uh, that's how that works, which is awesome. But yeah, so I think if you're a little bit more competitive in terms of you're you're really looking for that sort of top end, you want to be getting those ITC points. And actually, um, you know, the size of event is certainly one thing, but I am always looking for what event do I think I'm going to get really good quality and value out of? Mm-hmm. So which event is, uh, you know, promoting itself to be professional with great terrain and, you know, a clear, concise rules pack. These are the things that I'm really looking forward to when I'm going to a tournament because I want to make sure that I can not only enjoy my experience there, but I also know they're going to take it seriously. So for me, the biggest thing is really good referees, judges, and TOs that are really going to take and hold people accountable to their actions, which I think is fundamental in the game. Yeah. And if you get those things, um, you're likely to have good terrain backing it all up as well. If if the, the staff that are running the event are taking it seriously, they should also be running proper um, balanced table uh, tables, terrain ready for tournament play. So that's, that's a big thing as well. Location, something to keep an eye on. And um, yeah, to kind of say uh, that the ITC points are important and I kind of set my tournament calendar around um, several big events at any given time, but not that doesn't uh, discount the importance of RTTs. 
they I quite like to use RTTs as kind of a warm up in ready in readiness for a big event. So if I want to get out there and give my list a kind of a, a final kind of test before heading to a bigger event, I might attend a couple of RTTs in that kind of preparation and lead up to um some of those bigger ones. Yeah, and also I think going to an RTT sort of sharpens the mind a little bit. It puts you under that pressure to pick secondaries quickly, to get your models out, get them down on the table, deploy fast, uh, to, you know, play within a time limit, to, yeah. um, you know, hold yourself accountable to not only your emotional play, but also, like you said, your sportsmanship and things. Because, um, you know, when you and I play, you know, when we play, if you say, oh, can I do something else? I'll be like, yeah, go for it. Because we're practicing. Whereas when you're at a tournament, you might go, oh, mate, do you know what? Really messed up that decision. Can I just do something completely else? And they're going to go, no. You know, mm-hmm, so yeah. it, it just means it's actually holding you accountable to your decisions, which is good for the sharpen you up ready for the much bigger events. So yeah, I do like the old RTTs myself as well. And actually you can still score some pretty big points off an RTT. Yes, absolutely. And um, it, it just helps encourage, you know, good time management as well and all those kind of bits and bobs it really focuses you into that kind of tournament play. You, you may be completely happy with your list and, you know, those are the models that you've got and painted and you are taking that list, but you may look to attend an RTT to get get three games in within, the, you know, the two and a half, three hour band, uh, time, time limit of the round to ensure that you can you can complete your army, uh, your, your game in, in that time. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to have an entire um, episode dedicated to like chess clock and time management, because it is so crucial that you get that right. And I think there's going to be a bit of a, you know, there's going to be a bit of a crossover, right, from TTS to real events now. Yeah, TTS is a, it's been a great tool for the last year to to keep us lots of people active in the competitive scene. But uh, it's quite a transition from the computer screen to real life in terms of, uh, you know, you're not going to know your opponent a mission a week before, for example, the ultimate precision of TTS can't be replicated in real life in any meaningful time scale. So you've got to get used to moving physically, mod- physically moving models around the board and set and checking your auras manually rather than relying on that computer to do the, some of the hard work for you. You're also going to have to physically get around the table as well. You know, checking those line of sights, copying down, seeing if you can get the line of sight, all those different aspects, you know, checking the table to see if there's, oh, there's a little model hidden there. I can't just use my mouse and see what you've got on your side of the table. I'm going to have to walk around and see where you've placed your models. Um, There's all that to kind of consider. And also you're not, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jack, but I don't think there's such time restrictions on TTS games. Am I right? Or it's quite slack because, um, because there's not like a hundred people needing to finish around within three hours for the next round. I think there's guidance on it, but generally speaking, games will, carry on as long as they really need to so you're right there is a hard dice down typically at tournaments isn't there at the end of the round you've got to finish because you've got to start playing the next one yeah you've got to get your lunch in the results have got to get in so they can do the draw for the next round so um yeah i think that's going to be something which some people may struggle with and i think it's going to be worth um again really checking out that episode that we do on the chess clock and time management um, in some of our other tips as well. Even if you don't want to use the clocks, check out some of the other tips um, because I think that will certainly help speed up your play. So we know what events we're going to. We're going to do a couple of RTTs, then a big tournament. So what's next? What else do we need to get ready? Probably the most important thing. Well, you need to pick an army. Yeah. You need to pick a faction and then build a list around that faction. 
And we've got plenty of resources out there already on how to build a list. And we've done plenty of episodes on that in the past. But what are you considering? Just like if you had to give away a couple of like tips for building your army out, what would you be considering taking to a tournament? And how is it different to maybe playing yeah. just your mates or something? Well, in terms of actually like picking a faction, I've got a couple of options. Well, plenty of options for, thanks to the VT Studio armies. But, um, you know, I think... I want to stick with Tau because that kind of goes with my overall goals in terms of the ITC, trying to get best in faction, for example. Um, so that's kind of why you may want to think about your faction. But um, you know, in terms of the army lists itself, you kind of you kind of leaning on uh, what what's kind of expected the better at the moment. Is that is that where you're leading that question, Stephen? Yeah. So I mean, you've picked out one, which is obviously you're sticking with your Tau, and the reason why I love the fact that you said that is because it's the armor you know best. Um, you're not just jumping on the bandwagon of trying to play the most popular army, because actually, if you get to the tournament, and number one, if you don't know it very well, you could end up giving, um, you know, you could end up accidentally slow playing your opponent if you got to keep checking rules, and also, um, you know, you might be in a situation where you might get things incorrectly you know i can my, myself and joe we play on stream every week right mm-hmm. and we try and use different armies all the time and we make mistakes on stream um in their natural mistakes we're not intentionally doing it but that would be not in my books that is not acceptable when i go to a tournament i'm not going to be making those little you know wording differences and all that sort of stuff when i get to a tournament no. i want to be extremely well versed with my list i want to be able to play it proficiently i know i need to know all the stratagems all the data sheets all the details absolutely everything and if i don't i'll have a cheat sheet to back it up with i'll own all of my books um and i'll have them with me it's, and i'm not going to be oh i've borrowed this army off my mate and uh Let's see what it does. That for me is not acceptable. So yeah, I, I remember. Uh, you know, I'm exactly the same. I like by the time it's an event, I like to be at the point where I don't need to bring a book because I know it. I know it off by heart. Um, but it's there for checking how many attacks a ghost kill has in combat because that never happens. But I remember, or if your opponent wants to quibble anything, right? Yes, exactly. You remember that team tournament we played way back in the day when uh, we took Elva? Yes. And I'd never played Eldar, but I'd, I'd, I spent the time, you lent me the codex, and I spent time to learn it within a couple of weeks. Yeah. For that exact reason, I, I wanted, you know, to, to represent us as, as a team to, well and to, to not waste any time. And um, I remember you quizzing me on the way up about the different stat lines of different units and stuff. But but I, I, I put the effort in to, to, to learn it and um, to make sure I was, I was as slick as possible, not wasting any valuable time checking rules. That was when the Asuraman ran over to Morty and sorted him right out. That was uh, that was a thing of uh, absolute uh, perfection. That, that was. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he let me roll a dice on that because we, we knew what would happen if you did it. Yeah, so we were in a doubles tournament at Warhammer World, and um, quick story. But this is actually it's funny because this is one of our first events we ever went to, but probably one of our most um, like funny events. I would yeah. say we went to. Yeah, it was great. Um, so we're playing against these two guys running Death Guard and they were both good guys. And a Morty comes steaming forward and I'm just like, right now, we'll hold the line with all the gun lines, but we'll just send a sermon in. And you were like, he can't take him. I was like, look, <laughs> trust him, right? He's blue. He's got a big sword. He'll sort him right out. Walks up to him and just absolutely nukes him off the table, doesn't he? Absolute beautiful. Swordsmanship at its best. Yeah. Yeah. We put doom on him. We put... Um, 
plus one to wound. And every time a Suriman rolls a five or a six with the plus one to wound, you do D3 mortal wounds in addition to the D3 damage. And he just went ham. But anyway, a little bit of nostalgia there. But that's what the game's all about, right? That's what tournaments are all about, is sharing those experiences with your mates. That's exactly what it's all about, right? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. That's a massive thing that I really enjoy as a weekend away with your friends at the end of the day. Oh yeah, for me, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. So you've got your army list together. What is then the concern most people are going to have? So they've got their army list and they're looking at their models. What What's next, do you think? And you, I know this was something <laughs> yeah. you originally struggled with. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, what are people's apprehensions and concerns at that point? It's, uh, I mean, for my first event, it was the modelling and painting standard. For, for me, I'm not a naturally gifted um painter or no. modeler uh, at all and until this point i'd never had a fully painted warhammer 40k army and that was a great thing about signing up for, for an event it forced the issue and I, I remember i remember having a chat with you steve and you sent me some you kind of taught me some simple techniques to to make it happen and uh, many many long weekends painting and getting ready but uh, it was all worth the time in the end but i was really concerned about the modeling and the painting standards and things like that and conversions and squad markings. I think there's this when you're, or when we were new to the hobby, we look at pictures of these armies that are in white dwarf in the codex mm-hmm. and they're stunning, right? And they've got all the squad markings on and all the chapters are there and it's just, Oh, they look great. And they've got basing, they've got different types of grains of sand in tufts in flocks in you name it. It's there. Yes, yeah. But it can be extremely overwhelming. Like I've got this guy, he's got a plasma pistol armed on him and but I don't actually want to run the plasma pistol. Is that okay? So there's all these different questions, right? So again, we can cover a few things now, but it will probably go into this in more detail as yeah. we'll do like a little preparation week as it were. But generally speaking, we just want to try and do what's fair, don't we? And what I mean by that is we want to ensure that we're not confusing our opponent in any way, shape or form. So when they look at our army, it's easily identifiable is what it should be. And there's never going to be an issue where there's a gotcha moment based on your hobby, whatever experience or, you know, your hobby basically. So for example, I can remember a game when you played against orcs once yeah, and you got caught out because your perception was that there was a an orc boy unit and oh, yeah. you it, killed uh, the orc boy unit, but there was a character in there, but was literally just a boy. Yes. Yeah. I remember that. So one. he wasn't identifiable in any way, shape or form, aside from just looking like an orc boy. So you cleared off the unit off the objective with your one unit and then he had a character left and you were like, what's he doing there? Because he wasn't identifiable as yeah, a character was, uh, from the rest of his army. That was a painful one. I've pushed that out of my memory, but... Uh, Sorry, mate. <laughs> for, for many reasons, that wasn't a very enjoyable game for myself. But uh, yeah, that, that was definitely one thing that happened. That, I think you touched on something really interesting there about the, being overwhelmed because, you know, I think that kind of hits the nail on the head for how I felt at the time. As you say, you look at all these beautiful armies on YouTube and White Dwarf, etc. Um, I've got to get my army to that kind of... That's what's expected of me in terms of painting. But actually... But the scheme that we came up with was was very basic, wasn't it? It was a three color uh, and basing, and um, but just using it very effectively. So actually, each individual model doesn't look too great, but as a collective force, I was really happy with it. 
And it was really simple, but I was so happy when it was done. So don't, and uh, if you're ever struggling with this kind of stuff, yeah, reach out to your, you know, your friends or your local gaming club or, you know, a Facebook group or whatever and ask for advice. Um, but don't let that be a, a pain barrier to, to put you off. It's something that's got to be smashed through. And you, it's a, such a great feeling when you get that, that first army fully painted and together and uh, get it on the tabletop. Yeah. And myself and Joe have become well-versed at speed painting tournament armies. I think we've painted 16 armies for the channel this year. Um, so we are well-versed in those uh, little things. So, you know, some of the things that just simple basics, but just ensure the model that you're putting down on the table is on the correct base size. And if you're going to use some sort of conversion, which isn't on the right base size, then just ensure that you are, um, you know, you've got the right model in your bag. So for example, my fist, my old Mephiston model, um, I used to use as Astarath. It's on a slightly bigger base, but I had the old Astarath model with me just in case anybody preferred me to mm-hmm. use the old original model. Um, things like your weapon options, you know, you don't have to cut off certain weapons if it's equipped with it providing that you're not causing your opponent any confusion. So my point here, an intercessor gets, what, three types of profiles on his weapon? Oh, with the bolt rifles, yeah. Now, on my intercessors, they're all different. Because I actually, when I built them, I had no different. I had no idea that they were different. So as long as I say all of my squads have got the same type of bolt gun and it's on my army list... Every time I say, even if I ran six units of intercessors, providing that all the guns are the same, cool, it's fine. There's no need to rip, you know, little magazine weapons off or you don't have to stick grenade packs on your, you know, guys like Harlequins come with grenades on their models. I've never once stuck a grenade pack on, although they're equipped with them. So give yourself an easy time and just do what is there. But if there's ever, like, if you could look at it and go, hang on a minute, what is that? Then it becomes confusing. So, um, yeah, keep it simple. Um, and then in terms of things like squad markings, again, you could do that in different ways. Cut different color shoulder pad is an easy way of doing it. Different color rim on a shoulder pad. Or rims on the bases or get some bands or something like those. There's a, I quite like bands when you're, um, because you can obviously change it between tournaments as well, if you changed your list and things like that. But uh, that, especially for drones, <laughs> that was uh, that was a life saviour, the loom bands for the many shield drones that I used to run. I think they've been banned now, no pun intended. Oh, have they? Yeah. Oh, scrap that, guys. I don't think you're allowed to use... No, I, I think that's right. I don't think you can use loom oh. bands anymore. Okay, never mind. Because I think some people were using them as a painted colour. In back wow. in the day, so they went, they abused it, but it was it was useful. Um, but yeah. simply little markers on your edge of your bases, you can yeah. get coloured bases as well. I could, yeah, those, those those clippy pieces you can get now as well. It, yeah. Like yeah, so they're pretty cool. And um, yeah, squad markings and your sergeant, especially if he's got no special equipment, I think it's quite important to identify which model is actually the sergeant because it, it, it does come up more than you think in game that it's important to know where that sergeant's position is for model removal. Yeah. Things like that. Cause otherwise it's like he just, um, he's always in the right place. Oh, he happens to be in combat right now. Oh, but yeah. he didn't die. No, he happened to be at the back of the squad yeah. now. So yeah, make sure your sergeant is clear. He's on. Yeah, definitely. Or, 
Um, yeah, we, you just need to do it. You, just, you know, there's no getting around it. You just need to have it clear. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's a quick thing on, um, and maybe we can get somebody on in the future, uh, to help maybe some, some painting experts we can get on to maybe give some top tips when it comes to painting armies fast. Uh, maybe I'll have a kind word with James from Siege Studios, uh, see if he'll come on and potentially give us some top tips about, um, painting fast for tournaments. So, uh, and Siege is one of our show sponsors. So, if you don't want to paint and you want to get your army commissioned, then check out C Studios as they are going to be a great resource for that. Okay, so we're happy with the list. We've, you know, we've, we've got a legal army. And the other thing I would mention, if you're unsure, email your TO, right? Just make mm-hmm. sure that's okay. What's next after that? What would you be thinking about? Uh, I'll be reviewing the mission pack itself um, to see if there's any um, special add-ons um, that the TO had, add, that had added in, in particular, any kind of FA, FAQs they may have added um, about, you know, secondary choices or um, any particular rules interactions. Um, so I'll be checking that. I'll be reading that thoroughly to make sure that I was fully prepared to to what to expect at the event. You know, a, an example, a current example, may be the, the crazy succubus. You know, some TOs may take an opinion on that and ban the, the 42 attack succubus and others may not. But it's, it's, it's completely at the TO's discretion at the moment. Yeah. No, I agree. And that's an important thing to remember that, you know, at the end of the day, the TO is running the event and it, their decision is kind of final, especially in, in kind of FAQs like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you know, you could look at the mission pack for examples of their terrain layouts as well. Yes. Yeah. Get a bit of an idea of what that might look like. If it looks really heavy, maybe some indirect fire could be good. Maybe some planes could have some, you know, good utility on the table. So, um, yeah, I think reviewing the mission pack and also if they're, if they've released which missions you're going to be using, this then leads us into that, that next aspect, which I want to cover, which is practice. So you want to set the tables up like the mission pack. You want to, you know, use the missions that are going to be at that tournament so that when you rock up, you know which order those missions are in. You know what those rules are for those missions. You know if they're a hold one, hold two. You know if they're a hold two, hold three. You know if you can leave those objectives and still hold them because that, that catches so <laughs> many people off guard. Yeah. And um, you're going to know which secondaries are good for your army on that mission. You're going to know which secondaries are bad for your army on that mission. And then after that, you're going to go through and try to get as much experience as you possibly can against lots of different factions. So you know what can sort of catch you out as it were. But again, we're going to cover all this in so many more shows. We've literally written a list of everything. So we've from things like, you know, how to mentally and physically prepare for a tournament, which I think is really underrated as well. Would you agree with that, Jack? No, absolutely. Yeah. It's um, for me, decision fatigue is uh, something to, to keep an eye out for, you know, that, third game on day one it's uh you need to need to to look after yourself otherwise these things will creep in and you'll you may end up starting making bad decisions which when you look back on the game you'll be so frustrated with yourself um because you'd know you'd not normally make it under current circumstances yeah or you start to like get lazy yes yeah um, like I was watching Mark once play I'm sure he won't mind me saying but I think it was day two um, and it, I think it was his final game and he was sort of sat down at the end of the table and he was playing very reactive to his opponent because he was in that sort of, he was sat down, he was relaxed, 
He wasn't being proactive. He wasn't looking around the table. He wasn't looking at what moves he can make. He was just reacting to his opponent's decisions. And he ended up losing that game because he wasn't physically in it. He wasn't like, you know, um, getting in amongst it, as it were. So you need to have the stamina in order to do that. So um, physically, you need to prepare. Um, Obviously, my background is sports nutrition and nutrition and hydration is huge when it comes to focus. Um, one of the biggest things that we're always taught uh, through all of the degrees that I've st- uh, studied for nutrition and sports, exercise science, hydration is key. Sleep is absolutely fundamental when it comes to performing at your best. And that is mentally rather than physically, because if you're mentally not in the game, you're not going to be physically if you're a performance based athlete. And we play a more mental game than physical. So it's even more paramount. That's important. So we're going to talk about that. Um, and then also tilting, mate. I don't know what you're on about. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, definitely. It's, uh, we've touched on, on on a few episodes before, but uh, I think it's a very paramount time to, to kind of cover it again and uh, kind of help um, people understand the, the like ind- indicators that it's happening and what, what kind of techniques to kind of deal with it. Yeah, I mean, I'll share something quite open. I'm actually really nervous about going to a tournament. Okay. You know, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm nervous. I'm apprehensive. I know I'm going to get butterflies in my stomach straight away. As soon as I get my first round opponent, as soon as I walk up to the table, I'm going to feel really nervous. And whether it's pressure I'm putting on myself or perceived pressure, I don't know what. But do you know what? I'm going to have to reestablish to myself why I'm going to this event. And for me, it's just going to be enjoying myself to sort of brush the cobwebs out, as it were. And what's been really refreshing is, um, so for for many of you, you probably don't know this, but I used to be a, I used to be a professional fitness model and bodybuilder. And over lockdown, I lost six kilos of muscle. All of my weights went completely back to basics. Um, and when I got back into the gym, I was like just a shell of my former self. But it was really humbling to know that I had to start from square one again. So that's something I know that it's okay to start from the beginning and it's okay to take things right back to basics. And actually training's really taught me that, you know, and now I've got four weeks under my belt of training. I really get my groove back. So for me, my first event is just to sort of brush the cobwebs out, throw some dice enjoy the entire experience, have a laugh and get in my groove, get razor sharp again. So it's about in a really long winded way, setting the right expectations for that event. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I think setting expectations and goals is, uh, is, is such a great thing to do in terms of, you know, individual tournaments or a whole season. Cause I think, you know, yourself with a towel codex that, you know, it's an eighth edition book really, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's it's not in a great place at the moment, but uh, I re- it's still my favourite faction, and I want to try and you know try and get that best in faction for Tau. It's, it's not a popular army at the moment, so not so many people would be playing it. So it's a good opportunity for for me to push on and, and try and win that, and uh, and try and uh, prove some people wrong, and try and finish as high as possible in the overall standings, and in particular the UK standings. Yeah, and a great thing about that is you are comparing yourself amongst other Tau players, right? In terms of a challenge. 
So you're not trying to, or you understand that you're, you and all the other people going for best in faction for Tau are all going to suffer those same limitations that you currently are. So you're not just jumping on the recent hotness because then your expectation is to win it, right? Because otherwise, why would you? Why would you jump factions to the latest hotness if you didn't have the goal to win that event? Unless it happened to be like your favourite faction that's just come out again, for example. Like, let's say Joe's been playing, I don't know, uh, Death Guard for a bit in, you know, Drakari's Codex has come out and Joe jumps on Necrons. Well, that's his favourite army. It's always been his favourite army. It's the only army he owns, right? When you understand that there's limitations that you're under, but also applies to everybody else, it means that if you take a loss to the latest hotness, that's okay. It's all that's going to do is help build up your experience for next time. So how do you get an even, let's say, minor loss against it rather than a larger loss? And that's what it's all about is those little tiny steps. And this is something that we teach in our academy is understanding how to progress in the game. Because at the moment, it's like you won or you lost and that's it. So the game can be very black and white. And it's really hard to understand if you're improving or not. So that's why we've got the methods that we have on the academy to really help people understand where they're at and also most importantly where's that next step to take you know that foot forward so i think that's everything that we're going to cover today guys uh hopefully this has given you a bit of an insight as to what's to come on the show um but most importantly we're back myself and jack will be doing this on a more regular basis now um we're going to put the time aside get the episodes recorded and out to you guys so sorry this is a little bit shorter than usual but again, we just want to say thanks for all the support that we've had. And um, I'm really excited about what, you know, the next nine months, as it were, of competing this season. I'm sure you are as well, Jack. Absolutely. I think we're, we're all going to go on the same journey together in terms of getting back out into, into, into those events. And more importantly, my favourite model has now been announced. What's that? Morium Val, the sister ah, yes. golden... Yeah just epicness bit of a beast oh she is beautiful so i'm very excited for new sisters very excited i'm also really excited for new admech as well yeah i was gonna say it's, uh, yeah admech is should be very very close now so it's gonna be interesting to see how things uh, evolve and adapt uh, over the next uh, month or so yeah and we'll, we'll continue sprinkling in our um, reviews of those uh, for you guys so we can really go into more detail um, as they get released but um yeah for now guys uh, we're going to call that a day and we'll see you next week on the competitive 40k podcast take care